Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. And we are live. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Mel. It's a pleasure to be here. You know what? I would rather you said that at the end of our conversation than at the beginning. Well, I can say it at the end also. (laughs) I can even say better things also at the end. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to allow you to do that. So uh, everybody in the video audience, in the live streaming, in the YouTube, in the NBN podcast, I am here with a wonderful person, a wonderful author, and with a complicated name. Kathy Stefanik Ogren. Did I get it right? You've got it. <laughs> and welcome to the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, which I host. And I'm so happy to have you today because today is your book birthday. Yes. So happy birthday to Pew. Too bad I don't have balloons. <laughs> you should have brought cheese, actually. Oh. Uh, <laughs> So, so now is a good time to wave your book around. All right. And um, to those of you who are in the podcast audience, and I hope there are thousands of you, uh, <laughs> run out and buy this book because it's it's a stinky, stinkily wonderful book uh, about uh, cheese and a, a really interesting uh, slice of American history. Oy vey, mm-hmm. we've started that already. Okay. <laughs> so, so Kathy, run us through the book. I'll run it through the book. Okay. All right. Well, uh, if you haven't seen the title, it's Pew. I mean, like Pew. The Stinky and Legendary Gift from Colonel Thomas S. Meacham. And Thomas Meacham was a farmer in um, the state of upstate New York. And he decided, and this is in 1835, he decided he wanted to not only he wanted to make his community known, well known around the area and even further on. So he decided he was going to give a gift, a colossal gift to the president of the United States. And his gift was a 1400 pound cheese that he made. And it became 
a great big thing. They would they would take it. They had a parade. They put it on a schooner. They took it to uh, down the Erie Canal and around about to Washington D.C. and handed it over to the president. And it was left in the White House for the the vestibule or the entryway of the White House for over a year. And it began to smell because summers in Washington D.C. happened to be very hot and humid, and there was no air conditioning back then. So it smelled. They decided they or they decided they needed to get rid of it. The president um, had an open reception right before he left office. Ten thousand people showed up, and in two hours, it was gone. And that is a story of pew. <laughs> There's also the, he left behind the legacy, which is another 700 pound cheese. That is true. And that's in the back matter. He did. Yeah. He, there was a surprise at the very end. And the, um, the new president did not know that there was another 700 pound cheese stored somewhere. And so uh, the president, the Martin Van Buren actually had an auction and gave it away at the, or, uh, so at the auction. So, so Kathy, in, in your book, um, I, I thought that you wanted to be, uh, what's the word, bipartisan, because you didn't mention the president who the cheese was for. That is true. So who was the cheese for? It was now, for... Now you can tell me. <laughs> it was for uh, President Andrew Jackson. And I left it out because his, uh, and this, this happened to be because some of the uh, editors that had looked at it said um, he wasn't his legacy was not a great legacy. And so after getting some rejections because of that, I decided that I would, um, I rewrote it because I did have references to Old Hickory and the press was made from the Hickory, a Hickory tree, the cheese press. And I just left that out. And I thought if, if students or anyone who read it really wanted to know who the president was, that was a good way of for them to do research on their own to find out who it was. Oh, did, did he leave office willingly? Oh yes, of... he did leave office. He was uh, he was basically very ill at the very e at the uh -huh. end of because his. I, I I thought he left the seven hundred uh, pound other cheese as a stinky parting gift for somebody he didn't <laughs> like. No, it was not. It, that was not on purpose. I just think, and I I think, and I we. I couldn't find in my research whether it was at the White House or stored someplace else, but obviously it was stored in a cooler place than the, the entryway of the White House. I, I, I hope so. So a few words about the book, the uh, publisher, um, the uh, illustrator, uh, your agent. Let's uh... Well, the, the publisher is Sleeping Bear Press. It's a small press, but they do beautiful books. I They're love wonderful. Yeah, I loved working with my editor, and my next book will be with. I'll be working with her also. Um, the, the Leslie Breen was the, is the illustrator. She was had a wonder did a wonderful job, and anything that we did have to change a few things in it, and she was very willing to change. And we've been in contact with one another on email, and we're going to be doing a book uh, signing together. And I'm I'll get to meet her in person, which I'm excited about. And my agent is um, Vicky Salvaggio, and she is from the Storm Literary Agency, which is another, it's a great agency to be with. And uh, Vicky is uh, wonderful. Um, send her please my regards. Oh. Um, and ask her whether she wants to be uh, 
on the show. I'd love to have her. Oh, I should. She's one of the um, most highly regarded and one of the nicest agents. Um, and I am not going to tell you why today, but I'll tell you off camera. And I, I should disclose that we have known each other for a few months. Um, so we're, we're kind of writing buddies now. And uh, that makes me even more delighted to be interviewing you. And Sleeping Bear Press is a wonderful press. And so, and, and would you like to show to to just open a double spread and show it the people who are watching how beautiful this book is? Okay, because the illustrations me... are like you know a throwback. To the, I'm going to uh, show you. I love this illustration of the the farm illustration at the very first. And that that was one that we had to change that a little bit because um, Leslie had it as a very hilly area and. The area where he lives actually was very flat. So uh, here's another one. Oh, cheese. Yeah, it's it's done so well. It's like a like colonial style. Um, right. She did. Um, she did a wonderful job. And let me let me. There's just the the one more. There, there, there's the one with the people coming to the White House that I love in particular. Coming. Okay. Um, well, this one. This one. Uh, that one is lovely. There's another one where you see all the people in their get out. What's the word? Their fancy attire. Oh, are they lined? Okay. Ooh. Maybe the 10,000 people lined up to taste the cheese or to smell it as the, you could actually smell it before you could taste it. <laughs> oh, here's some. Is it this one? Yes. Oh, <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful picture. Yeah. Oh, great. So, so Kathy, um, Let's, before I ask you why write a such a stinky story, but I, I must say that's part of what uh, really I love about the book is someone who spent 30 years smelling people. Um, <laughs> and I'm a microbiologist and your book is all about microbiology, even though you don't mention the good bacteria and, and molds and whatever that make the cheese, uh, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to hold that Is that the back you. matter a little bit, a little bit no, of it? You said, you talked about the bad bacteria. Yeah. It's a, Cheese is a microbial process, which makes it wonderful and smelly and just right, ripe for a person like me. Um, so let's go back to the very beginning of Kathy. Start from the beginning and don't leave out anything. The beginning, like the day I was born? Yeah, where you got your interesting names from and, uh, and how you fell in love with, with picture books and stuff like that. Well, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and being from Milwaukee or Wisconsin, you have to be a cheese lover, a cheese head, um, and a Green Bay Packer fan. So, so that's part of it. Um, my parents were very good about having books around the house and going to the library all the time. And so we, that was part of it. When we lived in Milwaukee, we'd walk to the library. Um, then we moved to Lincoln, Illinois, um, because my dad was transferred there. And that's where I really grew up um, from the time I was in fourth grade until I went away to college. And in and that was the time I also started writing. I used to write plays for my parents, and we put them on for our parents. And my parents were very good about watching <laughs> and, and the neighborhood. So we get together and and some some of the times I did it with school, in school too, and you know I kind of I just liked writing, and I did very well with writing in high school. Um, I my degree is in elementary education, so I 
I've taught and I, I wrote plays for the kids in, in school. I taught second and third grade. And over the years, I've taught for about 32 years altogether, but it was on and off because again, we moved quite a bit. So I had to find, I taught in Illinois, Wisconsin, um, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. Those are some of the places, and we kept, we moved. Anyway, I, I've written, and um, I started writing for children's magazines, which I, they were not only uh, for like Jack and Jill magazines, they were stories, but also educational magazines. Being a teacher, I, I had some ideas. How, and hey, I had Kathy, some, how did you break into that? That was very pretty easy to break into. Um, I mean, they some of the magazines are not are out of, of they're not being published anymore. Like Instructor, um, in early years, uh, you could you could just send you could uh, send an article to them, and if they liked it, they would they would um, publish it. Highlights magazines I've been published in also, um, Jack and Jill. Uh, what there was another one. Um, that that isn't. I don't think they have it anymore. Uh, but anyway, th th that's that's where I really started, and then I decided I wanted to um, write a book, a children's book, and that was after my daughter was born. I had a little bit of time because I was a stay-at-home mom for a while, and so while she was sleeping, which wasn't very often, the, um, we uh, I would sit down and write with my typewriter, and uh, eventually I, I had a book. Um, early on, I had a book published. And it was an early reader, and it was a, a big surprise, uh, and it was very nice. It was also with a big house, which publishing house, which is was very surprising to me. Okay, a few, a few words about the your debut book. Oh, which what the this book? The, this book. This book. Yeah, no, not this book. This book, the book you're talking about now. Oh, the early, oh, the early reader. Okay. Um, it it was called Sly P.I. in the case of the missing shoes. And the uh, uh, when the the editor actually called me on the telephone, it was the I mean we had a telephone with the cord and everything. <laughs> I'm on the phone with her, and I was so surprised and so excited. And my daughter was outside with a friend. It was during the summer. The window was open. They had the hose out, and all of a sudden the hose she pointed it toward the kitchen window where I was. And she sprayed, water was spraying in the window while I'm trying to be very reserved, talking to this editor on the phone and trying to tell her stop. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, it was, uh, again, a slide behind the case of the missing shoes was a fox um, and a ballerina uh, who was a pig. <laughs> and and he, of course, solves the problem of her missing ballet shoes. And after that, things happened again. And I, I still, I've always, I've continued writing over the years, but it's, it's been a long road. I had another early reader published, The Adventures of Archie Featherspoon in 2002. And it's a tall tale back in the old West. Um, and he just was very creative and he took care of the bully boys in the in um, in an old western town. So, and then after that, uh, as I mentioned to Mel, I did I did retire from teaching, and I became a full time writer. And I joined critique groups. When I first started, there were no critique groups. There were no um, 
there were hardly any classes and now there are classes. I mean, everywhere you look, there's a class to take and you were kind of on your own to do it, so to do everything. So now it's been, it's been wonderful to be in critique groups and get to know different people and different styles. And just as we say, honing your craft. So, and that's kind of me. And I live here with my husband and I have a daughter and, and four grandchildren and they love it. And they'll be here this weekend, making a lot of noise. <laughs> that's, that's so wonderful. Um, well, you know, my theory, Kathy, my, my theory, which you're free to debunk, is that we write to the age group that we're stuck at. In other words, I write for my little five-year-old Melvin. Uh, do you write for a little six-year-old Kathy? No, because in my mind, I'm 26. <laughs> and that's where I'm going to stay. <laughs> but I love, I love picture books. And I love... Uh, I guess maybe even though in my mind I'm 20, I think I, I think crazy things and I have a crazy imagination. So that that's where that's where I, so probably that's true. Okay. So um let's say now um fast forward to um the uh, difficulty that we all have that you overcame, which is finding an agent, uh, because um very often getting published requires having an agent. So how did you find the wonderful Vicky? I actually, and this is good, and this is something that any potential writers uh, should be doing too. I, I had uh, Vivian Kirkfield does a 50 Precious Words contest. I did that. And I did, even while I was writing, I always, if I saw a contest, I would enter a contest. Um, so I thought, well, this is a good contest. And the first place was um, an interview or, or a critique from Essie White, who's the head, what, along with Vicki, they kind of together at, uh, at Storm Literary. But so, and that's actually how I ended up getting Vicki as my agent, because I came in first place, which I, I remember opening up my, um, it was, it was my phone. I looked at my phone and looked at, you know, the winners. Cause I knew the day the winners were going and I and it went Kathy Ogren. I'm going Kathy Ogren. That's me. <laughs> I was totally surprised. So it was, it was a nice, it was a nice surprise. And that's, that's why you join contests or, or take advantage of contests. Uh, okay. So first of all, uh, hundreds of people, many hundreds uh, join Vivian's 50 precious words. Um, and, uh, and you won. And I should say that Vivian is a wonderful lady. She's been on the show. She's a dear friend. And, oh, she's um, fantastic. She is. And because I don't have any chance of winning, I'm one of the people who give prizes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't enter that anymore. Um, so that's wonderful. First prize. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who won first prize in 50 Precious Words. You're my first. Well, so, wonderful. And then don't ask me, don't ask me what it was because it is, right now I can't remember what it was. It was, it was, it was in 2018, I think is the, the um, year I won it because that's, I think when I signed with Vicky. Okay. So now here's my question. Um, despite your previous successes in having two fictional early readers, you've mm -hmm. gone back to nonfiction. Interestingly, I did when I first wrote 
first of all, I found out about this cheese when my husband was watching the 1,400-pound the cheese. My husband was watching the History Channel, and I happened to hear the word cheese. So I sat down. I thought, oh, my gosh, that is such a strange story. And I'm thinking, that could be a good picture book. And so I looked for, first of all, I looked online to see if anyone had written a, a picture book about a cheese and there's only one and it, it was actually written for a different president. So um, I decided I would write this. I did research, I researched it, found enough that I thought, and I actually wrote a, not a fiction picture book with a mouse as a narrator who is, and he is the, um, a tour guide at the White House. And there are people and they're like a little girl there and the mouse and the little girl interact with one another. And it was kind of, it was a silly thing, but it had all of the nonfiction elements in it, but it was a, a, a book. It was true, a true fictional book. Um, and editors didn't appear to like the mouse as a narrator. So I decided, okay, what can I do now? And I thought, well, why not try nonfiction? And it wasn't, I didn't want to bite biography, but it is, it's basically, it's all about the cheese and what happened to the cheese, who made it, what happened to it, where it went. And, and that's, that's how the nonfiction came up. <laughs> so um, are you going back to fiction again? Uh, is the, your next book with Sleeping Bear fiction or nonfiction? Can you say anything it about is it? Fi it's, fi it's fiction. It's, it's about a little red chair. It's very sweet. <laughs> and, and when will it be out? Uh, 20 in fall of 2024 next year wonderful so Kathy I I, I keep saying this and I'm going to say it to you um, the people I interview on this show the authors are in the one in a thousand club um, and um, only one out of a thousand children's book writers gets a publishing deal with a traditional publisher and uh, and you have and now you have another deal and uh, you've previously published. Um, and uh, now it's time to share the wisdom of being that one in a thousand or one in 10,000. Uh, so first of all, hats off to you. And congratulations, it's a wonderful book. And even though it's nonfiction, it's got a lot of puns and humor. And, um, and it's, it's, it's such a, a crazy, you know, we Jews would call it a Michigan story. It's such a crazy story about this weirdo guy um, that sends the president, you know, a um, be before the time of, uh, you know, having the world's biggest cheese or whatever, um, a 1,400 pound, which is a 600 kilogram stinky cheese by boat and by carriage all the way from this farm. Upper, upstate New York. Yeah, upstate a little, New a York. Little. Somewhere near Albany or whatever, uh, all the way uh, to Washington, uh, where it sits for a year in the middle of the uh, of the White House. It's such a crazy story um, that um, I, I could have gone for it. I like maybe you're making the whole thing up. Now's <laughs> the time to come clean. Is this a true Actually, story? Actually, someone really? someone did ask me if it was true. If it was a true story, yes, of course it's it is a true story. I'm not making it up. I mean, I have I have my research here that, but I, I and I I added humor because 
I love, I personally like using humor and I like puns when they're appropriate. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's, I mean, it, this story basically lent itself to some of the puns that were in there. So but that the, was the name the, of the book, you know, the legendary, Oy vey, what a pun in the title. <laughs> well done. Well done. So, so Kathy with the, I, I'm sure this, and this book launches today. Yes. And everybody run out and buy it because it's cute. It's funny. The illustrations are marvelous. And, um, and it, it's also as, as nonfiction, it's also a, uh, you have a lot of back matter on how cheese is made and the story itself is hilarious. And um, that's, that's wonderful. Today's the day that the book launches. Right. Exactly. It's so very exciting. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and because I know that you're a very generous person, why don't you share some of your thoughts about why me and um what other people who don't have agents yet, who don't have publishing deals, should do? Should they spend 5, 10, 20 years, a lifetime trying to get in? What are the secrets? Um, go ahead. Talk well, to us. I have spent a lot of time trying to get in. I mean, it, it's, it almost started out too easily with my first book, but then then it was years after that, that the second book came out and then years again until this book came out. So my first thought is if writing is your passion, if you really, really want to be a writer and do it, just do it, do it, do it for yourself. There are a lot of rejections. I mean, truly a lot of rejections. And, and I've gotten to the point where I understand, okay, they didn't like it. Well, let me try something different. The first couple of rejections when I first started writing really hurt. I'm thinking, well, why don't they like it? But there is a lot to learn when you're writing. There truly is. So now is the time. If you want to do it, take classes. There are a lot of free classes that you can take. So you take classes. Uh, join the SCBWI, which is a wonderful um, um you, there's so many things that you can learn from them. It's a great a place to be and to hook up with different people. Um, if there are contests, go to if you, um, use the contests. Um, join a critique group. They really help. There are critique groups that are wonderful. And that's where you can learn too. And again, um, if you can afford to take some of the classes, definitely do that. If not, again, like I said, there they, a lot of classes are offered for free. So take those. Oh, what else? I don't know. Just keep on going. And and well, my my thing is believe in yourself and never give up. Never. <laughs> so. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. 
That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So, so this is, um, yeah, this is really good advice, never to give up. Um, it does have a, a, a problem. And the, the problem is that um, people, uh, you know, they have a, a lifespan and uh, you never know when it's going to happen. Right. Um, but a lot of people say, well, you know, the ones who persevere uh, are the ones who get deals. But I have a feeling that a lot of people just, you know, fall off the map. Um, and um, I, I want to ask you one of the things that I feel strongly about, which is recognizing that no matter where you are, you can always write better. Oh, of course, definitely. You're always learning. You're always learning. No matter, even if you think you know everything, there's still more to learn. And using other books as mentor texts, that's great. If you find a book that you really like and that's the way you you write, look at it, see what they've done to, you know, in the book. And 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 you definitely you don't copy what they've done, but you learn from what they've done and then it, use your own techniques to possibly write something um, that might be a winner. Okay, but you see... Here's another thing you said that's, that's very interesting to me. Um, write to yourself, write to your five-year-old, write to your passion. But sometimes when you do that, you end up writing about obscure subjects or in an obscure style uh, that isn't commercially viable. A few words about that, please. I think that you will learn, I mean, if you're getting rejections um, and knowing, I mean, you may not realize it's not commercially viable. You may think it's a wonderful thing and it may be obscure and maybe maybe you find an editor that absolutely loves it. But if you keep getting rejections and they keep coming back and saying the same thing, then you know there's something wrong, <laughs> that you need to fix that and 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 change it. And 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 then sometimes you just have to put it away and forget it. Put it in a drawer. Never keep what you have, but never get rid of them. Put it away. I did have an agent say to me one point at one point um, when I went to a conference. She looked at my my what I had sent to her when we had a one on one, and she said, "Just put this away." I mean, she basically did. She said, "This is basically." She was telling me, "This is horrible. Put this away." never going to go anywhere. I'm going, okay. And we had 15 minutes and I'm going, okay, what do we talk about now? <laughs> what did you talk about? Not too much. <laughs> it was like, okay, can you give me something else here? <laughs> but yeah. Well, what's the, what's the process of working with Vicki? Um, I'm saying this with a lot of positive envy. Um, she's terrific. You're terrific. Uh, what's it like working with a wonderful agent. She is. Uh, what I've done is she'll ask me what I'm doing um, and I'll, I'll give her an idea of what I'm doing. And once I have got everything together, or I think I have, especially having all my critique groups look at it and, and there's nothing more I can do on my side, then I will uh, send it to her as a proposal. She looks at it and she'll say, okay, let's do this. And she'll send notes back. She's never said anything to me about, oh no, this is never going to work. But she has given me lots of um, good ideas how to how to improve it. So we'll go back and forth and back and forth. 
We'll send it out. If it's if it's not working with um, editors she sent it to, she'll say, well, let's look at this again. And she does line editing, which is great um, because I think that's really important to me rather than someone just saying, well, you could do, you know, kind of not really telling you specifically. And I like, not that they should tell you exactly what, what to do, but, you know, you'll say here, there's no heart to the story. Let's see if we can find some heart in, you know, to the story. Or this doesn't make sense. You need to you you need to try something different here. So we'll go back and forth that way. And with revisions, same thing. Um, she'll say we need to spice this up a little bit. Um, so you know we'll look look and we'll the two of us will talk together too. We'll, we have um, one on one uh, like Zoom calls that we'll talk to one another, which I love because uh, that helps a lot. And then we can just figure out where we're going with 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 uh, the manuscripts that I have and what we should do next. Uh, she is a wonderful, wonderful agent and um, very kind, very kind. That's terrific. So I, I, two things. First of all, I'd like you to read a little bit from your wonderful books. And then if there's anything I haven't asked you, you can go ahead and ask yourself or ask me. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You want me to read, huh? <laughs> I would love for you to read. Okay. Well, I think I should start from the beginning. <laughs> It's the launch. It's the launch. Today's the, today's the day. Okay. Well, I'm just going to call this Pew because you know it's kind of a stinky book. And I don't know if you can, if I can go like this. Mm -hmm. Colonel Thomas S. Meacham of Sandy Creek, New York, owned acres of fertile land, woolly sheep, and 150 dairy cows. In late summer of 1835, Thomas Meacham wanted to give the President of the United States a gift to show off his talents of a farming community. A slice of an idea grew into a huge idea, a colossal idea. Cheese. Not just any cheese, but a mammoth cheese, a legendary gift made from on Thomas Meacham's property. A carpenter built a giant frame hoop and press. Thomas Meacham's cows filled pail after pail with fresh frothy milk. The dairyman had to warm the milk, add an ingredient to curdle it, cut the curds into pieces, separate it from the liquid whey, break up the curd into smaller pieces, press out the whey, and crumble the curd. Okay, you can tell me. <laughs> Otherwise, I, 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 a sleeping bear is going to be upset if you read the whole book. So, okay, let me let yeah. me just yeah go, go ahead here. yeah okay. Well, this is the cheese part again. This is the uh, lined with a special cheesecloth. The enormous hoop was ready for final steps. Over five days, men filled the hoop with crumbled curds, added salt, and pressed out the remaining whey. But it wasn't big enough for Thomas Meacham. He added more crumbled curd until the wheel of cheese reached four feet in diameter, two feet thick, weighed 1,400 pounds, about as much as one of Beecham's dairy cows. Utterly amazing. Utterly amazing. And um, so 1,400 pounds is over 600 kilograms for people who count. That's, count uh, that's good because I, I, I couldn't, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do that. And when, when uh, I, I would like to share this with you though. Uh, I'm doing a, 
um, a book signing at the library, at our public library here. And it's also a fundraiser. So I can sell my books and part of the proceeds from my books are going to go to the library. And so I'm bringing, I'm bringing things like pencils, you know, little, little, what we call swag pencils with a cheese, little cheese head on top and some stickers and bookmarks. But I made a cheese, not a real cheese, but I made, because I wanted people to, or especially kids to realize what a 1400 pound cheese looked like, the four feet in diameter and the two feet thick. So I went out and bought felt. And I took out my sewing machine that uh, hasn't been taken out in 20 years. <laughs> and I sewed a great big cheese that is four feet in diameter and two feet thick. Um, and it was, it was uh, my husband, my, thank goodness my husband was here. He helped me. It was hysterical trying to get things done. And then I think the longest part is I, I couldn't figure out how to thread the machine or put the bobbin in. It took me forever to do that because I hadn't done it in years and years. And it was a machine that I never liked to begin with. But anyway, but it last Saturday and Sunday, I made cheese, felt cheese. <laughs> no, but I mean, this like this is perfect, like for, you know, going to school visits and taking little little pieces of cheese for the kids. And um, I, I, uh, are you going to bring actual cheese to your signing? You know, um, I'm the, the only reason I don't is because of allergies. And I, I don't, I, and I don't think the library wants food in there. <laughs> so no, but, you know, I thought, I, I thought, I have thought about um, getting, you know, the little cheeses that are wrapped yeah. up like Edam cheese and for yeah. another like book signings in a bookstore yeah. where people can just grab something like that. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, buy two books, get a piece of cheese. <laughs> so, um, and you're a cheese uh, cheese lover. I love cheese. It shows in your book. And what kind of cheese do you love? Well, my favorite is sharp cheddar cheese, the white sharp cheddar cheese. I really like that. But I basically will eat almost, almost any cheese. There are some cheeses I don't like. And uh, do you make cheese? I have a recipe that I'm bringing to the library with me, but I haven't made it yet. So, so I'm just going to, and I don't know if I'm going to have time to make it because it's next week. So um, no, I don't make cheese. <laughs> so um, we're coming towards the uh, end of our wonderful uh, conversation. And um, it's, it's, it's great to be with you. I mean, you know, over Zoom. Uh, on the day the book launches, and you've waited a long time for this book. Yes. How yes, does it I feel, have. Kathy? How does it feel? It, you know, it's it's just because it's been such a long time since the book has come out. It is. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling, and I just hope it reaches a lot of people. And I, I hope that people really enjoy reading it and, and not only learn from it, you know, the back matter you can learn from and the uh, cheesy facts, but just really enjoy the book for for what it is and kind of laugh and learn, laugh and learn. It's great. We, we don't really know much about this Colonel Meacham and what was going on in his mind when he, when he hatched this, uh, this scheme. Well, we know that basically we know that he was a very wealthy farmer at that time. Also, he was a showman. 
I mean, he made it, everything was big to him, everything. So, I mean, when, when he, when they traveled with it, with his horse, with the cheese and the carriage and the horses, he had 48 gray horses, team, teams or, you know, so 24 teams of two horses. I mean, who does, who does that? And who makes a cheese <laughs> that big of a cheese? The, the Jews would say a guns in Michigan. Yeah. A, a total, a total nut cake. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. So, so now we have a, um, a food for your next book. Okay. Next about book. A nut, nut cake after the red chair. Okay. So Kathy Ogren, this was wonderful. And um, now you can tell me how it felt the interview. Oh, well, I would say, Mel, you're a wonderful person to be interviewed by. I've enjoyed <laughs> this very, very much. You are amazing. And I, and I truly, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for having me on. No, I thank you. This was wonderful. <laughs> well, it's a mutual thank you party, <laughs> along with it's, a happy birthday party. <laughs> happy it's a happy, birthday. happy book birthday party, a, a book that you've waited a lot of years for. And um, all I can say is to the public, don't wait a lot of years to get hold of this book. It's funny. It's hilarious. It's heartwarming. It's uh, stinky in a good way. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm closing off. I'm Mel Rosenberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And I've been speaking to Kathy Stefanik Ogren. Thank you. <laughs> it's been wonderful. It it's has been wonderful. So enjoy your day, and uh, I'll probably be speaking to you in no time. Okay, sounds good. Thanks so much. Bye bye.